Welcome to Fired Up, an original podcast from Ignite Fan Insights, powered by NASCAR, the National Sports Forum, and the Association of Luxury Suite Directors. This is a podcast for sports business pros like you. We go behind the gates and beyond the numbers that keep sports fans coming back for more. Our host, Chris Wise, is the brains behind Ignite Fan Insights. With a commitment to research and innovation for over 30 years, he knows the right questions to ask, and most importantly, what to do with the answers. Get ready for in-depth, engaging conversations with sports industry leaders that will inspire you to take action and connect with your fans. I'm producer Brad Carpenter, and this is Fired Up. Welcome to Fired Up. Today we talk with Charlie Sloniker, Senior Vice President of Ticket Sales and Fan Services for the Philadelphia Union. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Why don't we start out just... Um, just tell us about yourself, just everything you want to share with us, your background, your position, responsibilities, and really interested to ha- how'd you find your way to Philadelphia and uh, kind of what your day-to-day looks like. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, went to the University of Dayton there. We had a pretty good relationship with the local minor league baseball team, the Dayton Dragons. So was able to get some internships there. I actually started off as a entertainment intern. So I helped basically defend our mascots was their bodyguard. You know, I'm all about five foot seven. So I was terrible at that job. Um, I also picked people out for seventies dance skits and things of the sort. So through that, I was able to get to know some people in the front office. The gentleman ran the ticket sales department. And one day he said, Hey, you know, would you have any interest in a ticket sales internship? And I was like, absolutely. I, I have no idea what that is, but that sounds amazing. Um, he said, I think you'd really like it. It's, it's just like sports. It's highly competitive. There's a leaderboard. You can see who's first, you know, who's all the way down to last. It's good from the standpoint, the harder you work, the more money you make very black and white. You can see who's doing well and you can advance your career more quickly. So a lot of those things were really appealing to me. And I, I really jumped in on that. And fortunately there was a, a full-time opening when I graduated. So I was able to do that for a couple of years out of college. But, you know, my passion was really wanting to make it into the big leagues, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in minor league baseball, you end up doing a ton of different things. So in addition to ticket sales, I also was our head of ordering bobbleheads. Um, <laughs> and uh, fortunately, had a really good relationship with our, our bobblehead vendor, who was a previous Cincinnati Bengals employee. He was able to make a connection for me, um, get an interview with the Bengals and get that opportunity as a, an entry level ticket sales rep. Was there for about three years really enjoyed it you know things like monday night football and stuff it's tough to to replicate that and it was kind of at the point of you know do i keep on in my selling career and maybe get into sponsorship Uh, but what was really appealing to me was more the leadership side and getting into sort of a management position within the ticket sales division so at the time mls was was kind of an up-and-coming league and you know they were willing to take a shot on somebody on their way up and you know that presented an opportunity for me at the Chicago fire where I was able to manage the season ticket sales staff there. First time I ever left Ohio um, or didn't live in Ohio. So, you know, great experience there and really just kind of immerse myself in, in the soccer culture and understanding how to, how it was a little different and how to sell and everything. So I was there for about two seasons and got a call from a former colleague who used to manage collection of minor league baseball teams I worked for 
gentleman named Barry Gibson, who had just taken over the VP role at the Indiana Pacers. Mm. Um, we stayed in contact. He was building up his management team there and offered me the opportunity to come join him. So the Pacers, I ended up overseeing our inside sales division as well as our, our group sales group. So, you know, at that point, I had kind of overseen most of the pieces of the puzzle was in Indy for a little over three years and it was kind of looking to put it all together. And, you know, fortunately that's how I made it out to Philly. Uh, Major League Soccer, again, kind of giving me the opportunity to, to oversee the full division. So um, that's sort of the, the, the position now is overseeing all ticket sales and service here with the Philadelphia Union. What's that look like on a day-to-day? Yeah, so from a day-to-day standpoint, I mean, it, it's really sort of a, a couple different pieces in terms of you know, basically strategic oversight of all of our ticketing efforts. It's staffing and development. Um, when I first started at the union, we had 19 total staff members that kind of did a little bit of everything. We're now, um, you know, prior to the pandemic, we were up to 35 that had very clear divisions from, you know, group sales, season ticket sales, service, et cetera. It's business planning and, and execution of that business plan with each of our directors. And then I also represent our, our ticketing department at the executive table for any, you know, sort of high level positions there high-level conversations and talking how that would impact the ticket sales team. How have you pivoted during this year compared to what you did a year ago to ensure ticket sales for the future? As you, as you look to get through this year, help me, help me understand what you've been up to. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one, Chris. I, I mean, in the past, we had a very clear path of executing the business plan. You know, we know exactly what we were facing. You know, we were able to have 18,500 fans in our stadium. Uh, you know, it was pretty crystal clear and it was just business planning and executing that um, versus now we're continually sort of re-strategizing all the different scenarios and understanding, you know, what local government is doing and, you know, what we're allowed to do. Um, Major League Soccer has done a tremendous job of having all of our, you know, chief ticketing officers together on weekly calls to be able to all be on the same page. So that's been extremely helpful. And I heard at one point that somebody described this period as being extremely intellectually stimulating if you don't look at the P&L. Um, and that has absolutely been the case for us. <laughs> That's interesting. Yep. So we know that how soccer has, has really grown, has really um, seems to be embraced by the, the United States population, finally. Um, I, I remember playing soccer. That, that was my sport as a, as a high schooler. But when I was in high school, there wasn't there wasn't uh, um, competitive teams. We just had little clubs that we played. But so that was way back when. And then I coached my kids, all four of them, for like seems like forever um, in recreational soccer. But tell with with that growth and, and interest, um, tell us a little bit about the market you're in now. Obviously, there's with the kind of attendance you've been been um, achieving. Just talk about the community and the support you have from them, and and what has what has allowed for that that uh that engagement that yeah that engagement we'll leave it there yeah i I mean i think plenty of people share your same story chris soccer is a a very popular youth sport right now you know the participation rates continue to go up and up people are starting to get more and more interested in the game Um, and that's what drew me to to the opportunity it was an opportunity to build something it was an opportunity to grow our owner kind of describes it as you know when he first bought into the union the internet had shrunk the world and soccer is the world's game. So there was tremendous tailwind from that perspective. But we're pretty, pretty unique in Philly in that our supporters, the Sons of Ben, literally started our club. 
very fascinating story in that prior to there being an MLS franchise in Philly, it was, you know, the, the largest market without a, uh, an MLS team. At one point, we had a number of fans who basically developed their own fan group, the Sons of Ben, which still are, you know, the, the lifeblood of our organization today. And they basically started showing up at other MLS matches and other league events and basically saying, hey, we don't have a team, but, you know, we're from Philly and doing unique chants and everything like that. And, and that sort of caught MLS's attention and said, hey, you know, there's something there. And that's how our team was actually started. That's how we were granted a franchise and, and our owner started the team from there. You know, so for us, realistically, you know, talking about the, the fan component and everything, like we will look at our heat map of where our fans are located. And, you know, essentially we're based in the suburbs. So we're, you know, 15, 20 miles outside of the city of Philadelphia. And right now we have a very suburban crowd and a very suburban demographic and, and don't quite pop as much in the city. Whereas, you know, other MLS teams are, you know, sort of the opposite. You know, they have that, that young millennial that's from the city. So, you know, from a fan development perspective, we've, we've spent a considerable amount of time trying to get into the city, you know, having different fan events there, you know, having some of our advertising there. You know, we've, we've been looking at potentially, do we start a new pub in downtown Philly and, and a bunch of different things like that that would hopefully draw some of that younger demographic out to the stadium. Um, I calculated that you, in 2019, your average game attendance was an impressive 93%. I hope I was close. Um, so beyond with what you just shared, what other factors allow for that kind of performance? Yeah, I think it starts with our team president. We have a team president who strongly believes in ticketing. When I, I was first interviewing for the role, he told me he wanted to build a ticketing engine. And you know, I, that's exactly what he's allowed me to do. So you know, from the top down, there, there's sort of that core belief there. And then you know, we because of that, I think, and we, we have good people in other departments as well, we have a marketing team who is highly supportive of our efforts and is really looking to drive the ticket sales side of things. So, you know, we, we have that sort of belief across the organization. And then we also have a core group in our ticketing division that's been absolutely key. You know, so when I started in 2016, we had a number of staff members that predated me back to the club's beginning in 2010. And, you know, a lot of those folks are my key directors now that sort of know the, the market and the business inside and out. Um, so from there, what, what we'll do, we, you know, kind of have the key pieces in place to, to build out the rest of the operation. Uh, you, we look to hire for very specific traits and qualities, you know, traits and qualities that we think lead to success in the role and bringing fans out, people that are really interested in soccer, really interested in sales, people that are highly competitive, you know, coachable and highly organized. And we interview for those specific traits to find those type of people. Um, but then from there, we have to have a very dedicated onboarding type of program where we can get those people up to speed. And, you know, essentially after that, it's just planning and execution. We, we have a, a good rapport with all the other MLS club, clubs to just, you know, talk about best practices and you know just executing from there to you know kind of tap into that 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 philly fan base you know the diehards that want to come out and watch <laughs> and it sounds like you may have a lot of diehards right <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so when you talked about that 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 engine you talked a lot about the people and and a little bit about processes or anything else you can uncover about that 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 ticketing engine that is is uh 
maybe a secret sauce or don't you want to tell us? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Happy to share. I mean, that's kind of the funny thing about, um, you know, being on the business side of sports is, you know, I, I have a great rapport with plenty of my colleagues at our biggest rival clubs because, you know, when I'm not necessarily competing directly for, you know, revenue or fans from them. So, um, yeah, happy to share. You know, I would say what we look at is sort of if you take our 18,500 seat stadium, we kind of look at in a couple different pieces. We look at first our, our ticket sales base, which, you know, is absolutely key. Those are your people that are coming out every single game. So, you know, we have a little over 9,000 right now. And the, the goal is to essentially treat those people extremely well, you know, proactively reach out to them, make sure they're aware of all of our events do some seat visits, you know, remember their kids' birthdays and things like that. So they're feeling the love from us and they want to keep coming back. On top of that, we have to layer on new people. So people that are, you know, coming out to our games with a big help from our marketing department who have creative offers, the right amount of advertising, you know, hitting people in the right way to come out to our game and actually try it one time. And we can get those people out hopefully a couple times the next year and then into season tickets and walk them up the ladder from that perspective with a, you know, a dedicated cadence of how we want to communicate with those people. And then on top of that, you know, sort of the secret sauce is sprinkling on the group tickets. And, you know, we have basically a, a groups department and a couple guys in there that, that have been with us for, you know, almost since the beginning or since the beginning and, you know, getting to know that youth soccer community is huge as well as building on some additional programs where we can have high schools come play on our field. We can have churches come out and listen to some of our players talk about their faith, um, getting some elementary schools involved with fundraisers. And it's just sort of, you know, to me, that extra sprinkling on the top that goes from, you know, a, a, a pretty decent game, a, you know, 75% full game to that sellout is the group sales on top of it. Interesting. So it sounds like you do things to make the the relationships with your fans very personal, um, very engaging, and you're out and being very much a part of the community. As you begin the strategic process around premium seating, wh where do you begin? Because uh, we've seen that that whole offering evolving, that it becomes more and more important to the to a club. And so, talk about the the, the strategic process around premium seating. Yeah, I think when you, you first start, unless you're a brand new team, you kind of have to look at you know, what do we have now? You know, what sort of product offerings are there? What's our percent sell through in each of those areas? Who are the clients? What sort of commonalities might they have? Um, you know, and what does our premium sales and service staff look like? So when I first started in 2016 and we took a look at that, you know, there are a couple pieces that we really wanted to, you know, improve upon. Um, so we didn't really have any sort of like all-inclusive F&B offering, it, you know, it was sort of a, a little bit of separate, you know, you'd have the, these great seats and then, you know, pay for your F&B separate. Um, but realistically for premium, when you're entertaining clients, you know, maybe you're sending some sales reps out with potential prospects, you don't really want that additional bill. You kind of want it all wrapped into one. So we created some specific offerings around our field seats where, you know, literally you could reach out and touch the players sort of like your courtside seats. Um, we also created a really high end tunnel club. We noticed that we didn't necessarily have a, an area that was like super, super premium. So we created this area that was essentially right next to the player locker room. And mm -hmm. as the players are walking out of their locker room, they have to weave through this tunnel club 
and we have it sort of sanctioned off um, to where, you know, the fans can't necessarily get, get on their side, but they're literally right there. They can reach out and high five them. Just a super high end type of area where, you know, the food is all inclusive. The beverage is all inclusive there. Um, and just kind of a really unique space that is actually right on the water, uh, which is kind of a unique aspect of our stadium. So, you know, from there, we, we also just sort of built out the, the actual premium team. Um, so built out a staff that was, you know, had that service mentality that wanted to help people and wanted to, you know, work with those companies and, you know, high net worth individuals and show them a good time, as well as people that were just sort of dedicated to calling on B2B. Um, you know, people that were doing a lot of networking and, and people that, you know, instead of calling on, you know, Joe and Jill fan that had been out to a game or two, they were calling on companies to see if they could set face-to-face -face meetings and well, virtual meetings at this point in time, uh, <laughs> you know, but that was the thought process. As you look to, um, to next year, which is like right around the corner, right? Um, right. any differences in the way you're approaching premium seating and, uh, um, how has our current situation impacted how you approach next year? Yeah. So we were able to host five games in 2020. And with that, you know, there, there are very specific regulations from major league soccer around the pandemic that did sort of massively change what we were able to do. So, you know, essentially it had to be 20 feet away from the field, you know, so wh wherever the players could go around the playing surface, the seats couldn't start, you know, immediately in row one, they had to be 20 feet back. Um, that the high end tunnel club that I just mentioned, unfortunately was a total no go because you couldn't be that close to players. You know, obviously if you're, you're at risk of potentially infecting the players, that's when things go South and you know, you're not able to play games. So, you know, that was one part of it. We have a, another stadium club on the opposite end that is more up on suite level. That was very limited, you know, limited capacity there. And instead of 20 people in our suites, we did 10 people in our suites to, to sort of be able to, you know, have either one household or, you know, potentially two households socially distanced kind of within there. So I think moving forward, what we would do is sort of look to kind of strategize around those regulations. Um, you know, we've done a lot of sort of looking at what industries are thriving during this time, you know, what, what industries have actually seen, you know, benefit from the pandemic and really look to specifically target those people to, to kind of bring them out. Ah, good, good. Um, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit now. What, I'm really interested in uh, what best practices have you established within all areas of the stadium and premium specifically around inclusion, accessibility, and diversity? Yeah, definitely. So I, I would say credit to our players and our coach who really sort of led the way on, on this front. Um, they've been really vocal with a couple different things uh, we had this is basically our MLS is back tournament. So when the pandemic shut down everything, um, we actually went down in Orlando. They created a bubble similar to the NBA and played down there. And, you know, that was sort of right after the, the George Floyd incident had happened. And, you know, essentially our, our players really led the way from doing a couple different things. There was sort of a, a you know, a pretty sizable demonstration in the first game our players actually in their first game that we played in uh, wore the names of victims on, on their back instead of their own personal last name for our first game. And that led to a lot of conversation. A um, couple of our players have been pretty much leading the way in terms of a, a new great, 
group that was created, the uh, Black Players for Change. One of our groups or one of our players designed a Black Lives Matter t-shirt that, that led to um, some of the benefits or proceeds of those purchases going toward the effort. Um, you know, so credit to them, I, I would say first and foremost, at, um, at our stadium, Subaru Park specifically, we were able to work with, with local officials to set up a, a pop-up pop mail-in ballot. Um, you know, certainly saw a number of stadiums kind of participating in that type of thing, but we did that uh, the weekend of October 16th. Also have a, a really good local partner. Uh, Newman University is sort of our um, collegiate partner and they were able to assist us. We did this, this great four-part series with them. It was basically a diversity and inclusion class for our front office. Um, you know, led to really good honest dialogue, really good like sort of specific stuff about our business and how we think about diversity and inclusion. Um, you know, there's two women that ran it that, were, that are social workers at Newman University. So we, we had topics ranging from you know, how we can do a better job of recruiting a diverse candidate pool to you know, how we operate our business during a, you know, a divisive time. Um, so that was great. And then you know, the final one I would say is, is from our front office, we also formed this, this group that we call our CARES group. And it's basically an acronym for uh, Community Awareness, Responsibility, and Education in Soccer. So these guys kind of lead the way in, in sending us out, um, you know, just some, some things to, that you should be knowledgeable about, you know, some different things. You kind of get like a weekly email so with an update on that. So I think we've really looked as an organization to try to, you know, impact some things and, and be a leader in this space, as well as, um, you know, just kind of gain some more knowledge across the board for, for all of us to make sure we're, we're sort of aware of what's happening there. How do you, in other areas of, of diversity, and I'll, I'll include folks that um, are sight impaired or ha have just have trouble getting around because they, they may be in a wheelchair or some, some other uh, areas as it relates to not only physical facility but communications with a, uh, a broader group around inclusion, accessibility, and diversity? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely a, a number of, of different laws associated with ADA compliance and things that we follow to a T. You know, our, our head of ticket ops does a really good job of just making sure that we're, we're fully set up um, and, and making sure that all those guests can make sure they're, they're able to view an area from a like area um, there as well. So, you know, we, we've just started to have a little bit more conversations around you know, those that are, are hearing compare, impaired or, you know, potentially some, anything with the eyesight um, and doing some different things there. So that, I think that's something that we're still trying to, you know, continue to make some improvements on for sure. So with, with this year, how have the challenge of this year or how have you used the challenges of this year to, um, to build the institutional marketing behavior and the way our behavior has changed will not just automatically go back to the way it was once we get past this, uh, this situation. Um, so how, is, how have these challenges really changed behaviors and your approach to, uh, to ticket sales looking ahead? Yeah, I think there are a handful. Um, one, it allowed us to to really sort of tear the Band-Aid off in, in terms of some things we were looking to do. Um, one specifically would be like mobile ticketing. Um, for years, we have had basically season ticket member cards where, you know, they had a physical like credit card size card that, you know, they would have all their tickets loaded onto and everything. And um, you know, we, our fan base was sort of fairly hesitant about moving to all mobile tickets, um, which we really wanted to do for a variety of reasons. So 
you know, of course, with the pandemic, you know, you want to be as contactless as possible. So it just makes so much more sense to, you know, have the ticket right on your phone rather than, you know, have to hand anybody a card or anything like that. So uh, we made that switch for these five games and we'd look to carry that on to next year is now that everybody's used to it, you know, nobody had any complaints. It worked well. <laughs> um, everybody was able to get in. So probably continue with something like that. We've also sort of looked at our sales process and how do we continue to evolve that. And, you know, one of the big things is sort of just like how we're, we're meeting today, you have all these different platforms that you can communicate with people like Zoom, you know, Microsoft Teams and things that I don't think that, you know, we were super in tune with or at least utilizing in our sales process. So we have primarily tried to incorporate a lot more video into our sales process where, you know, mm. in the past it would sort of be, you know, we were phone, email, text, chat um, through our website and then in person. And, and really the sort of that extra one would be the video where, you know, I think for me, if you're, if you're talking to somebody on a, you know, video chat, it really kind of humanizes them as opposed to, you know, thinking of them as a salesperson. Um, that's sort of, we want to do everything we can to, to make our prospect or our client think of, you know, you know, Chris, the person, as opposed to, you know, Chris is trying to sell me something. Right. So at any step of the way, we, we try to pivot people more to a video call um, as well as we have some kind of cool integrations with our CRM software where we can insert a video into an email that, you know, if I had a whiteboard as an example and I said, Hey Chris, how are you doing? And like showed that up on the whiteboard, you would, you know, hopefully get the feeling like, wow, this was really personalized for me. This isn't just a spam email, you know, et cetera. Right. So I think, you know, there, there's some things like that. And then the final one was probably just, you know, sort of adjusting our Salesforce to and how we manage our Salesforce to 100% work from home life. Um, you know, we're just sort of now to the point where we're starting to get people back into the office and, you know, able to come back in a couple days out of the week at sort of half staff. But, you know, for the most part throughout the pandemic, like most other people, we've been, we've been from home. So, you know, from that standpoint, it's just sort of making sure that we have kind of the same parameters in place of, you know, essentially as people are making phone calls or sending emails from their, their home, um, you know, able to take their laptop home, have to plug into their CRM software and we can sort of see as all that's happening. So it kind of gave us a lot of comfortability of like, you know, wow, even if the people are from home, we can kind of still have all of our checkpoints in place to make sure we're executing our plan. And, you know, so it's certainly given me some comfortability of like, Maybe even when things get back to normal, there could be some more, you know, working from home and things like that. Because now we know how it works and, and we can execute it fairly well. Awesome. Charlie, you've been, you've been great. Sure, appreciate the time today and, and sharing your, your insights. And uh, you have a good rest of the day and a good holiday season. And look forward to seeing how things go for you in 2021 and, and how, how the union fares next year. So uh, we've been, you've been listening to Fired Up with uh, Charlie Sloniker, Senior Vice President of Ticket Sales and Fan Services with the Philadelphia Union. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you so much, Chris. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, be sure and subscribe. And if you really like what you heard, then why not leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify and tell all your friends. Also, thanks to the great people that sponsor Fired Up, NASCAR, the National Sports Forum, and the Association of Luxury Suite Directors.
To learn more about Ignite Fan Insights and what this exclusive content can mean for you, visit ignitefaninsights.com and subscribe today. It's a wealth of information all about the fan at no cost to you. Your fan club subscription includes our e-publication, podcasts like this one, exclusive blogs, quarterly e-newsletters, and timely webinars that not only keep you up to speed on what your fans are doing, but you'll be ahead of the curve. Fired Up is hosted by Chris Wise and produced by myself, Brad Carpenter. We love making these shows and we love connecting with you, the listeners. Thanks again, everyone. And as always, stay fired up.